And thanks so much for, for joining us here at Outward Church, uh, where, wherever you are right now. Um, we're just, we're glad that you're joining us um, and that you're a part of this. Um, I know that like right now, like there's this sense of, uh, we were just talking before the service that there may be a sense of like digital fatigue. Uh, like maybe you've been on Zoom calls all week, like, uh, like I, ha- I was at least at the first part of the week here, um, and it's just exhausting. And, uh, and so we're, we're just, we're grateful that you're joining uh, with us and that you're a part of this um, at, at Outward Church, especially those that are a, a part of the church uh, before, but we also want to welcome all those people that are uh, just listening in, that haven't attended uh, the physical location of our church, but that you're, you're listening in, you're hearing the, pre- the preaching of the word, and so we're so glad that you're here. So, and, and hopefully someday soon we'll be able to meet uh, that we, we'll be able to connect with you, uh, shake hands, uh, and those kinds of things. But we'll see where the Lord uh, takes this, this whole uh, shutdown. Uh, this morning we're in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. We'll be picking it up in verse 4. We're going through verse 12. Uh, just as we've been looking at this passage together as a staff and as, um, and, and as elders and, and, and people, one of the things that's really kind of come out of this is, is this idea of I- identity. And what, what is our identity? And I, I don't know how you're feeling right now, whether you feel like there's a piece of your identity that's missing uh, since this whole shutdown and this quarantine has taken place. I, I, I don't know where you're at this morning in that, but I think that there's a lot of people that are kind of feeling that way, that feeling like it, it just feels weird, uh, we say. I've heard that so many times in different conversations that uh, life just feels weird right now. And it just feels different than it, it normally would. And so we're, we're beginning to start thinking about the end of this. And so the governor is talking about, um, you know, what our plans will be. What, what, what are the benchmarks that we need to be able to reopen and, and things like that. And so as we're getting to the point where we're, uh, where we're, we're getting uh, perhaps close, we don't know for sure, uh, closer to uh, opening back up again, um, can we just have a conversation this morning about what it's going to look like uh, as we move forward? Because I think many of us are in a place right now where maybe our hearts are, are softened. Uh, there's less stuff going on. There's less things that we have to be at. And so there's this moment, there's this cultural moment that's happening right now that I'm afraid that you're going to miss if, you, if, you're, if you're not listening, if you're not really looking into this. Like if you're just hoping that we're going to get back to normal, um, you might miss what God has for you. And I think that this is a critical time in our lives that we can begin to think about, okay, God, what, what do you have for me? What do you, what do you want for me? Like was my life pre-quarantine really fulfilling your desires for me? And I, I, I got to be honest with you, when I look at my own life and I, and I think about like how busy I have been prior to this, and, I, and I'm busy now too, but it's different. I'm at home a lot, a lot with my, my wife and my kids, and that presents um, other things, you know, where we're enjoying each other a ton, um, but there's also more opportunities for friction. But I, I, I just got to tell you that I am kind of thinking about this time and I'm going, all right, Lord, what do, you, what do you have for me as I move forward? And I'm hoping that you're asking the, the same question. And the question that I'm asking this morning is, who am I? Who, uh, who, really, who am I? Like, what, what is my identity? See, oftentimes our, our world wants to communicate to us that we are what we do. That we, that we are emphatically what we do, and whether it's, it's a job or uh, a group of people that we hang out with, or a political party, or uh, any one of those things, like we are what we do. We are uh, th- this, these people that were described by what we do, but Jesus has something else for you. Jesus has something completely uh, other, and that is we do what we are. We do what we are. See, Jesus has designed us in such a way, God has designed us in such a way that we are ultimately not manufactured. We are not produced so that we're described by what we do, but we do what we are. 
And so really discovering what we are. If you remember in the first part of, of chapter 2 in 1 Peter, he says this. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And I, I just want to emphasize that for a second just to really bring the context of this passage into our minds. And that is that if you become a Christian or if you are a Christian, that what, what should be happening with you is that you should be longing for this pure spiritual milk, for the Word of God, for His Scripture, for Jesus in your life, so much that it is, it is as though you are an infant who has not been fed in a while, and who is crying out for, and what we said was being addicted to the Word of God, being addicted to it and saying, I must have it. And Peter says, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good, and so what this is, what this is really communicating to us is for those of us that have relationship with God, that there should be a sense that we've tasted that the Lord is good and that we just want more of Him. I don't, I don't know what that's like for you, but I, I know that when I taste incredible food, incredible meat, incredible barbecue, uh, I, I just, if I've tasted it and it is so good, I want to taste it again. I want to continue to taste it. And so he's starting off with this idea that we must have this insatiable desire for the Word of God. But too often, our insatiable desires are not for the Word of God. They're not for Jesus in our life. They're actually for all kinds of other things. And our identity as Americans is not rooted in an insatiable desire for the Word of God, but it is an insatiable desire to consume. Our identity becomes an insatiable desire to consume. To consume and consume and consume. So much so that in America, what we talk about oftentimes, and, and maybe what you've heard in the news media, is that the, the backbone of the American economy is the, the small business. Hence, you know, the small business loans. Uh, in addition to that, what makes a small business tick it is customers, consumers. And so what we talk about in the American economy is that we are fundamentally, at our core, we are consumers. Now that's an economic description, but I think it also describes us as people in general. Like our entire economy, our entire economy is, uh, the, the linchpin of it is the consumer Spending money. The consumer desiring more and more and more. That's why you probably got to check into your bank account, or you're still waiting for it. You got to check into your bank account so that you can spend. If, if you have your rent covered and other things, what they want you to do is they want you to spend that. They don't want you to save that. They want you to spend. Because at our core, our identity as Americans is more than just being an American. It is that we are consumers. That we are consumers. But has God created us to be consumers? Because we are consumers of all kinds of things. We're consumers of experiences. We consume experiences over and over again. We're looking for a new experience. We're going here, we're going there. I've, I think this has come up in several sermons recently. But some, something feels empty in our life because we're not going to experience something. It's a movie at the movie theater. It's a baseball game. It's, uh, it's a restaurant. It's some type of a show. It's some type of a place. It's we are consumers at our core and something is missing in our life. But then maybe you're seeing something and that is that there's something peaceful that's happening in you and in me. There's something peaceful that's taking place. And, and, and sure, there's fear, there's anxiety, uh, there's stress from a job that's lost or that's been cut or furloughed or laid off. Sure, those things are true. But I think there's also a sense of, of peace that comes from, I can't consume all those things. And so what's going on inside of me? What is this insatiable desire? Well, I, I want to tell you that I think that this really speaks to it. If you've tasted 
that the Lord is good, then something different is going to happen in you. Something different is going to happen. Keep in mind that that verse 3 there is really talking about consuming something. That the context of this passage is about consuming. So look at this. It says in verse 4, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation." Now, this passage is, is kind of popular in, in Christianity. It's, it's oftentimes quoted. It oftentimes leads people to, uh, to just the doing aspect of this. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. Make sure that your conduct among the Gentiles, which are just people who aren't Jews, which is all of us, um, really what that's referring to is people who don't know Jesus, uh, make, make sure that your conduct is honorable with them, and so on and so forth. But that's ultimately to kind of miss the point, because the point begins in the, the fourth verse, which is saying, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, and verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, what, what this is, is saying is it's, it's saying that like if you've tasted that the Lord is good, if you've consumed the Lord, if you've taken him in, if you've partaken of him, then as you're, as you're coming to him, who is the living stone? Now, that's kind of a, uh, an oxymoron there, and the oxymoron is, is living and stone. Stones are dead, but this is saying a living stone. It, 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 is, it is an analogy. It's a story that helps us understand and see how Jesus fits into our life, how he is a part of our life. And so it's, it describes him as a living stone which is rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. So there's this concept that Jesus is chosen and precious, that God has ordained in eternity past that Jesus would come. Remember we talked about this last week. Like Jesus coming as this sacrifice is not like some kind of an accident. Like God said, well, I guess I screwed that up. Now I guess I'll have to send Jesus. No, this is God's purpose that he has determined that he is going to send this living stone who is Jesus that is oftentimes rejected by, by men. But in God's sight, he is chosen and precious. And so, and then it equates Jesus to us. You yourselves like living stones. So here's Jesus, the living stone, and we also are like a living stone. We, we are a stone that is alive. Like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. That, we are, that there's this process that's happening in our lives, which is causing us to be built up to be growing. And so part of my question is, is that are you a living stone that is being built up? Are you somebody who is growing in your spiritual development or are you somebody who is continually just consuming, continually just consuming, 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 consuming so that there's no time. In fact, there's this great quote that I read in one of my commentaries 
uh, from McKnight, which says this, Perhaps the greatest obstacle to spiritual development today is that people are too busy. In contemporary society, our adversary majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he will rest satisfied. Hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. And that's from Richard Foster, a quote from him in the middle there. In the development of spiritual maturity in our churches, we need to ask for time and for focus so that the noise of modern society can be eliminated to hear the glorious tones of God's word. This is best done in the context of community. Now think about that quote for just a second. Like there's this, this muchness and this manyness. Like I would, I would venture to say that there's a lot of you who are watching this, this video here this morning that are watching the service right now that have had a, a very difficult time developing in your spiritual life because there are so many things going on in your life. You have said yes to everything. There's so many things in your, in, in your house, so to speak. There's so many things there that just fill up every little spot. Imagine this for a moment. Like if every, every time you saw something that looked amazing, some type of a piece of furniture, a piece of artwork, you know, a, a couch, uh, you know, a chair, uh, who knows, uh, what, whatever it is. If every time you saw something that looked great and you said, that would look good in my house, like you would ultimately end up looking like a hoarder. Your house would be so cluttered. There would be stuff lining the walls, and it would be everywhere. There'd almost be nowhere to, nowhere to sit because you have too many chairs. Let me tell you that many of us, our lives, our spiritual development, our identity that is rooted in Christ is not coming out. It is not being developed because you, have, you and I have continually added more and more and more and more and more things because we at our core are consumers. Our identity is that we are consumers of things. We're consumers of experiences. The kids have to be in all of the sports. They have to be, and not just some sports, but then you go to club sports and you do, and not that those things are bad things, it's just there's too many things. It's manyness and muchness that causes us to have a house, a spiritual house that has no room for anything else, that has absolutely no room for anything else. So you add, you add all, of the, all of the various experiences that we could have. You add in there the fact that we have lots of things that we want to purchase. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to myself here. There's lots of things that we, that we want to purchase. And we do purchase those things oftentimes. We purchase those things. And, and what, what's happening here is that with all of the experiences and the events that we're paying for, and then all of the products that we're purchasing, and then all of the, you know, the cars and the house, what happens is this, is that now I need to make more money. And I have to have more money. And so what happens is this, is that my manyness and my muchness comes out in my work. Or maybe you just love work. You love to consume work. Your identity is rooted in your work. But you're, just, you're a consumer just the same. And what's happening is this, is that we, come, we keep growing and growing and growing in this, this need, this insatiable desire for more and more and more. And what's taking place is this is that you and I are not being built up as a spiritual house, but you and I have built our own house on our own foundation, and it's a weak foundation. But he's, he's describing here something. He says you're being built up as a spiritual house. And the spiritual house is this. It's a community. It's a, it, it is a community of people. And what, what's, what happens also in America is that we are rugged individualists who consume. And so I would just ask you, like you may have some Christian friends, 
But are you plugged into? Are you connected with God's people? Do you, have, are you, do you see yourself as part of the community? And do other people see you as part of the community? Because what this is saying is it's saying you're being built up away from the idea of your identity being rooted in consumerism, but you are being built up as a disciple of Jesus Christ who is a part of a greater community who is intended to be the church. And what this means, and he says, to be a holy priesthood. This holy priesthood is essentially this, that we are God's representatives for our community. We are a representative of God for our community. And when our identity is rooted in manyness, muchness, consumerism, when our identity is rooted in that, we are not bringing the presence of God into our world. We are not bringing the presence of God into our relationships. We're not bringing the church to bear on our local, local schools or teams or in our workplace or, in, or wherever it is. We're not bringing the presence of God as a holy priesthood, but we are walking in as a member of just American consumeristic society. And we have a false identity. And it makes me wonder, have we really tasted that the Lord is good? It makes me really wonder whether we have truly tasted that he is good. Because we just don't have desire for him. We have desire for manyness and for muchness. And we have a desire to consume and to consume and to consume. Who are you? Who are you? Because he goes on to say, and he says, you're being built up to be a spiritual house, essentially the temple in our city. Like God resides in you, and not just in you, but in his people. You're bringing the presence of God there to offer spiritual sacrifices, which are, are simply just... Uh, worship. It's just bringing worship into our city. How do we worship? We worship as much in the things that we say no to, the things that we refuse to buy, the ways that, that we refuse to overextend ourselves financially. The ways, and it's not just in like saying no to drugs or no to sex outside of marriage or something. It's, it, it is that, but it's more than that. It's saying, no, there's more Christian people today that think that they're, hit, that they're firing on all cylinders that just have zero time to be spiritually developed as a community that is operating as the priesthood of all believers, what we like to say, which is essentially bringing the presence of God and worshiping God in our city. But God's identity for you is that you are a community. That you're a community of people who are built on a solid foundation. Who are built on the cornerstone and have an incredible cause. Those are my three points that I forgot to tell you at the beginning. We're a community built on the cornerstone with an incredible cause. And so we'll, well, I, I won't go on quite yet. Why don't we? Why, why don't we bring this true identity? Pete Scazzaro says this. He says, we cannot give what we do not possess. We cannot help but give what we do possess. Pete Scazzaro, he says, we cannot give what we do not possess we cannot help but give what we do possess. Like, like many of us are Christian in name only in so many facets of our life. And the truth is that you can only give to your community. You can only give to the people around you what you do possess. 
If you possess an insatiable desire to consume, you are coming as a consumer to our world rather than coming as a priest that is offering these great sacrifices. See, have we tasted that the Lord is good? Have we tasted that he's incredible? Do we have an insatiable desire for pure spiritual milk? And I would just say this, that when we get done with this shutdown, we're going to see something that I think is going to be amazing because many of us, once we get over the fear, and I hope we do that quickly, of being together and, and those kinds of things, that there's going to be something that's going to be weighing on, on us, which is it is so good to be together with God's people. And I hope that we do not forget that. Like, it's, it's not going to last forever. But I hope that we don't forget that. Because what's also going to be happening is this is that the American consumer engine, the advertising agencies, all of the major corporations, and everybody else is going to hit the streets with everything that you should have bought while you were in quarantine. They're going to say, you should treat yourself. They're going to say, you should buy this. There's going to be low interest rates, and there's going to be lower prices, and you got to have it. you got to have it. you got to have it. But if you don't learn this now, if you don't understand that God has created you to be a part of a community, that you are not an individual on your own, then you will come to society, and you will bring something that is just here to consume. Who are you? Is your identity rooted in what you consume or is it rooted in the fact that you are a community of people that have been put on this earth for a, an incredible cause? So the second thing, as I said, we're a, a community. The, the second thing is, is that, that we are built on the cornerstone. So first, the community. Secondly, the cornerstone. He says in verse 6, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So two things. First of all, he's a cornerstone, but he's also a tripping hazard. He's a cornerstone that he's the foundational element of this spiritual house. He's the foundational element of this spiritual house in which everything else is aligned to it. Everything else is leveled by it. Now, you and I, oftentimes, we think, I'm building my house, and there's this idea of Jesus is in the house. Like, that Jesus is in the house. But oftentimes, like in Revelation, it says, Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I want to come in. I want to have dinner with you. And oftentimes, Jesus is still sitting outside, and he's just like, he's knocking on the door. Because that passage is to believers. It's to people who claim Christianity. It's not an evangelistic passage. It is to believing people saying, hey, you built your house without me. I'm standing at the door, and I'm not inside. And Jesus is saying, I want to be in with you. And more than just wanting to be inside with you, Jesus says, I want the foundational element of your life to be me. I want every part of your house to be aligned with who I am. I want you to be aligned with me. Like when I was in construction, oftentimes you'd set one corner of the house, and maybe you'd get, uh, or, or the building, you'd get the surveyors to mark some lines for you, and you'd pull a string line, and everything would be off of that. Back then, they would have one cornerstone. They'd have a cornerstone that they would start with, and it would be a, a very straight stone. It would be a perfect stone, and all of the other stones would need to match that stone. They're all taken off of that. They're all decided by that stone. And that's what's happening here is that he's saying, he, he is saying that your life must be built on the cornerstone that is Christ, or else he just becomes a tripping hazard. 
See, all of these little quotes that you might have seen uh, in the passage there are really quotes from the Old Testament. So Isaiah chapter 28, uh, Psalm 118, uh, some, other, some other passages as well. And Peter is pulling from the Old Testament. And he's pulling from a story where Israel is given some incredible promises that are represented by the stone in Zion. They're given all of these promises and, and, and God says, I'm laying a stone in Zion. And that stone in Zion represents, it ultimately represents Christ, but it represents incredible promises for God's people. But instead of accepting the stone and saying, yes, I will make him the chief cornerstone in my life, they reject him. And what Jesus then becomes is he becomes a tripping hazard. He becomes a stumbling stone. Now, why or how do we stumble over Jesus? We stumble over Jesus by looking at this passage and saying, here's all the things that I need to do right now. Like, here's a list of things. Here's a list of ways that I'm going to fulfill this. But that is not the point of that passage. The point of this passage is Jesus. It is Jesus. And what it's saying is it's, it's, it's saying this, that your life must be aligned with him. But the ways that we stumble over Jesus are essentially this. We try and do all the things that Jesus does. I, I try to, to fix my life. Like you heard me talking about the idea of consumerism. And many of you were like, you know, you're right. I really have been buying too many things. I've been involved in too many things. And, and some of you are beating yourself up. You're like, I, I know it. I know it. I have been too busy. I can feel it in my spirit. I know that I have too many things going on. And I, I, I just, I've got to change that. I've got to change that. But that is to miss the point. That is to miss the point, to think that Jesus is saying to you, like, hey, you've got to build a better house. Jesus is saying, no, I am building a house. You are part of that. You are chosen and precious. You cannot build the house on your own. I am the one who's building the house. And so we try to fulfill the law. We try to fulfill all the rules and say, okay, I'm going to be better at this and I'm going to do that differently. But the truth is that's to miss the point of who Jesus is because Jesus has already fulfilled all of those things. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Because Jesus has already fulfilled all those things. It's doing for Jesus without Jesus. It's saying, you know, Jesus, I'm, I'm going to do all these, these things for you, but not really understanding and, and making him the cornerstone of your life. That is to trip over him. That, that is to trip over who he is. It's building your own structure based on your own efforts. Instead of living in submission to Jesus. Instead of living in, in, in the reality and the knowledge that Jesus has saved you, that he has ultimately saved you from all of your sin, that Jesus has ultimately been in so incredibly merciful to you, it's saying, I've, I've got to be hard on myself and make this happen. But to align yourself with Christ, to be aligned with him, means to look at him. It means to see where Jesus is at and go, okay, that's, that's who he is. That's what he's like. See, see, those measurements, the alignment of a foundation comes off of coming back to that same stone. Jesus is saying, I want you to come back to me. I want you to, to revisit where I'm at. I want you to see what, what the, the hues of the, the look and the color of, of my stone, of who I am. I want you to pay careful attention to how I've been mortared into place. I want you to match me. But many of us, instead of being a stone that is glued into, mortared into, next to, combined with Jesus as our cornerstone, many of us are a loose stone, as Spurgeon says. There's many of us who are loose stones, 
We're people who are not really connected to the cornerstone. We're not really connected to Jesus. And, and so we're, we're loose, and sometimes we fall out, and sometimes we're, we're not really a part of this community. And so we're loosely affiliated with this structure that is the church, this community that's been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And instead, we, we exist as Christians in name only. And in some ways, we're, we're just a loose stone. And we're not really connected. And what this is saying is it's saying, you must be connected to the true cornerstone. Don't be tripping on Jesus. You got to be connected to him. You got, you've got to be connected to this Jesus. The third thing is the cause. So we're talking about the community, the cornerstone, and the cause. What is the cause? It says this, but you are a chosen race. I just want you to, to, to stop right there for, for just a second. You are a chosen race. Your identity is not in the things that you do. Your identity is not in the things that you consume. Your identity is in the one who was consumed for you. You are a chosen race, like, like a chosen people, like God has chosen you. He specifically has chosen you. And you might say, I feel rejected, like Jesus does. But, but God looks at you and he says, you are chosen. I've chosen you just as you are. I have chosen you. And you are a part of my people. Do you see what these words mean? A chosen race. That's not an individual. That is a people group. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. It's using that word priesthood again, and it combines with it this idea of royalty. Think of kings and queens. In Israel, there would have been uh, the, the, the kings, and, the, there, and then there, there would have been the priests. And those two are very high offices in Israel. And Peter puts both of those together and he says, it's like the janitor becoming the CEO. It's the highest office. You are a royal priesthood. I mean, that's a group of people again. You are a holy nation. Like you're a group of people that have been set apart for the work of God, to be the people of God. A people for his own possession. Like God owns you. Like God possesses you. He, and, and, and I think those words really speak to this idea that like, it, he is so happy. And he's so pleased with you. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a people that belong to him. You're his. You are his forever. How can your identity be in anything else? How can it be in manyness and muchness? God says, I am your identity. I am what you are. Isn't that crazy? But then there's the, these other words, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We'll get to that a little bit more in just a second. Like that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Like that, that there's this idea that you and I should have this sense that, that we are a part of this people group and that it motivates you and I to say, I've got to speak about how amazing this God is. I have to tell people with my life and with my lips of how excellent, how amazing, how gracious he is because of this. Because he called me out of darkness. He called me out of a life of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Men and women, the thing that is going on with you and I is this, is that when we are engaged with all-out consumerism, with manyness, with muchness, when our identity is really defined by what we consume, we're living in darkness. We are living in darkness because we're constantly trying to fill a void. Some of you with money or with, with residual money, which is most of us, by the way, you, you can see this. How many things have you bought? Or, or, or how big is your bank account? It's just, it's just it's pick your poison. It's like it, you, you like things or you like the, the, the number that's next to your savings account or, or to your portfolio, what you have. It's still manyness. It's still muchness. And when you derive your ultimate meaning from that, you're ultimately saying that your identity is in those things. But the crazy thing about it is that it never fulfills. You have to buy more. You have to earn more. You have to save more. You have to invest more. It never stops. It's always there. You will be consumed by your desires. They will ultimately consume you because you refuse to look at the one who will ultimately and finally satiate that desire. Because he says here, he says, he's called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Like God is speaking to you right now. And he's saying that you cannot be defined by the things that you are buying. You cannot be defined by all of the things that you're doing. That is to live in darkness. That is to be disconnected from the cornerstone. That is to live like an individual instead of a community. That is living in darkness. And look, he describes again this incredible mercy. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Christians today must be thinking in their minds that I used to be. This is what I used to be. Now, that's not our sole focus, but this is what God saved me out of. God saved you out of purposelessness. God saved you out of darkness. God saved you out of selfishness. God saved you out of pride. God saved you from being all about your thing and your stuff and all of the things that you do. And you were not a people. You were not God's people at that point. But now you are a people. And he's brought you together. You had no place to be. And now you have a place. Now you have a person. Once you, you, were, you were destined for destruction. And now you've received mercy. The mercy of God. Like the, Peter's trying to pump us up here. And he's saying there's something more to live for. And it's this great cause of declaring that you may proclaim the excellencies of this God. And then he says, once you know all of that, once you see all of that, he says, beloved, I'm urging you. I'm urging you to not see yourselves as Americans. Now, some of you are, 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 are that sounds offensive to you. Um, I'm not saying we shouldn't be grateful for our, our country. But your primary identity cannot be in uh, American consumerism. Because America is built on consumerism. I urge you to see yourself as a traveler, as a sojourner. I urge you to see yourself as someone who's not living where you're supposed to live, where you're ultimately going to be. You're in a country that is not your own. You're in a place that you are not built for. You were not built for consumerism. You were not built to find your identity in the things that you do. You were built for another place. You're just a traveler. 
You don't belong here. I want you, Peter says, I urge you not to see yourselves as people who belong here. And you're just kind of existing and that Jesus is just part of your life, but you're not really connected to that reality. I'm urging you not to live that way. And he says, I want you to abstain from the passions of the flesh. The passions of the flesh are the deep over-desires that come out of our life. It's the over-desires that take place. It is to consume passions of the flesh. It means I want more. I never have enough. Why does adultery happen? I don't have enough whatever in my marriage. Why do people steal? I don't have enough. Why do people keep acquiring more and more things that they don't need? I don't have enough. These are the passions of the flesh. Notice that he doesn't start out with that, but he says, I want you to think about the mercy of God and everything that he's made you to be. And with that in mind, that your identity is not in these things, like can't you see that you should abstain from the passions of the flesh? But it's not like they're just kind of like, oh, they're just some little desires. No, they're waging war against your soul. It's you are in a battle for your desires. Don't allow your body, your mind, your desires to direct your life. That is to be led by your stomach. It's to be led by your consumeristic thoughts. Don't be led by that. Be led by something completely different. And he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And what's the day of visitation? It's just this. It's the final judgment. That's all. And he's saying that when you live honorably, because you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And you're addicted to the word of God. You're addicted to being a part of this community that is the local church. That is a temple of the living God. And you take the presence of God wherever you go. And you take the sacrifices, the worship of God wherever you go. And you take the cornerstone with you. Your life is aligned with him. When, when you realize that it's not that God is standing over you saying, gosh, you've got to do this. He's saying, I've been so merciful to you. Don't trip over me. Align yourself with me. When that happens, your life proclaims the excellencies of God instead of American consumerism. Your identity is no longer in the crap that you consume, but it is in the God who is consumed for you and invites you to consume of himself. Jesus was consumed for you. He was, he was consumed on the cross. He was nailed to a cross. He, he bled out and he died for you. And you know what? People get pretty offended by him. It says so in John chapter 6, verse 51. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And what happens? The Jews argue among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Just listen to me. That car, that experience, the busyness in your life are all cheap substitutes that will never satisfy you. They will never fill you up. Listen, 
Jesus is saying, the feeling that you keep chasing in all of those things, the, the thing that you're desiring there is ultimately me. You're desiring me. You just keep putting the wrong stuff in there. You just keep putting the wrong stuff into your spiritual body. And he's saying, I want you to crave pure spiritual milk, which is not a Bible study. And it's not just more of this and more of that. Jesus is saying, it is me. It is him personally. Eat his flesh. Drink his blood. That sounds gross. But Jesus says, I want you to consume of me, not of things. So I want to invite the, the band here to come back on, on the stage. And let's partake of communion with that in mind. Jesus specifically says that. What a great communion passage. You've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. I just want you to think about this for a moment. For those of you who are believers, as you gather your communion elements, your whatever it is, and just think about this for a second. Have you consumed of Jesus? Or have you been a consumer of things or experiences? Have you consumed of Jesus or are you just a consumer of the church? Have you just been consuming of your family? Have you been consuming of your work, your finances? Jesus says, I want you to consume of me. And he says, I went to the cross for all of the ways that you failed. All of the ways that you have tried and failed to fill yourself. All of the ways that you've even tried to be good and yet still failed. I went to the cross for that sin. And Jesus says, partake of my body. Let's partake of the bread. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross for us and that your body was broken for us. That you endured such pain. And now let's partake of the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that you went to the cross and not just that your body was broken, but that your blood was shed for me. That your blood was shed for us. Lord Jesus, please allow us to see that you have forgiven us freely. You've called us to yourself. You've given us a new identity in you as your community of chosen ones, as your community of a, a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, a people that are just, they're just, we're just for your possession. And you've given us incredible mercy. Thank you, Jesus, for that reality. May we live out of that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.